our whole semester, we're going to be hearing about um, further up and further in from people who have walked at Emporia or from people who are dear to Emporia in some way. Um, and so just for tonight, we're going to have Michael like overarching what does that mean, you know, before we dive into um, different parts of it. So, welcome, Michael Durie. <laughs> Everything that has a beginning has an end, Neo. Who knows what that's from? Okay, you should watch The Matrix. It's a very good movie. It will teach you about the machines controlling people and, and then maybe show you a few machines in your own life that have some power over you. I want to talk about the kind of absolute opposite of that. So that's a very... Everything that has a beginning has an end. That's kind of how we think about uh, life today. And what further up and further in really means is everything that, every end is a new beginning. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get into that uh, as I go along. So there's two things that I want to uh, start off with saying. One is that the, I looked at the song, the lyrics to the song, uh, further up and further in that Elizabeth sent to me. And one thing that it said, was, the thing that struck me the most about it, and the, I thought related to this idea further up and further in the most was, the greatest story of my life has yet to be written. I want to talk about that a little bit. And the second thing that I wanted to say is, you could die tonight. Right? Isn't that true? So, um, Further up and further in, I feel a little amiss <laughs> starting with further up and further in, starting with that, because it's like starting at the end. Uh, the Narnia series is a seven-book series. Um, here's the last one, the last battle. They're all about this long. And further up and further end comes at the very end of the very last one. And what has happened is the, uh, the last battle is... Uh, kind of an apocalypse, uh, the, 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 like, the la like the apocalypse of St. John, which is often called the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, in which the Apostle John gets this vast, uh, cosmic, mystical uh, vision of the story of creation and redemption. And it's wacko. It's crazy. There's dragons, and there's beasts with seven heads, and there's a harlot, and there's a bottomless pit and there's huge chains that are, you know, and angels like wrestling with devils and, and, and Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and his eyes are flaming and he's riding through, he's riding through the heavens on this horse with the armies of heaven behind him singing for joy and it's this massive battle in heaven. It's all these crazy things. And this is kind of um, what, a lot of what this is about. For instance, at the beginning, there's an ape. And this ape is, uh, we're, we're back in Narnia. So Narnia, first of all, for, uh, who's read Narnia or seen some of the movies? So Narnia is this magical other, it's a, it's a magical world. Like we have our world, and then you can, uh, what Lucy is just about to do there is she's about to um, find a portal into this magical world. And then the children discover that what they end up is they wander into this world, 
and they're young when they get there, and they realize that there's a prophecy about them coming when they get there, and then they become kings and queens, and they reign for a really, really long time, and they forgot the world that they came from, and then they kind of, after all that, they wander back and they tumble back into the, into the wardrobe room, and they're the same age again, and no time has passed since they were in Narnia. So Narnia, Narnia is this magical world. And this is the last uh, story in the book of Narnia. And, and at the beginning of the book, you're in Narnia. There's no kids. There's nobody that you know. There's just this ape. And this ape has tricked this donkey into wearing uh, a lion's suit. He's pretending to be Aslan, who's the God figure, the Christ figure. And, the, and, he's, and, he's, and he's deceiving people. And, and, and he's pretending to be God, uh, Jesus. And it's, and it's all this. And there's war and all these terrible creatures and all these horrible things are happening. And then toward the middle of the book, the kids start showing up. All the kids that wandered in. And, and there's just one part where, where, where a bunch of them show up and all the most important ones show up. The High King Peter. Who was, who, the High King Peter was the one who was counting for, um, for hide and seek there. And all the kids show up. And they don't know why they're in Narnia. They're just suddenly there. They had been on a train uh, going somewhere in England, and suddenly they're in Narnia again. And there's this huge war. Things are burning. There's all this apocalyptic imagery going on. And um, uh, uh, side note, the older girl um, who was not on the train, she had kind of gone off away from the family, and she's not back in Narnia. Uh, her name is Susan. And they find out from Aslan that they're dead. The train has crashed. Everybody on the train died, and now they're dead. The greatest story of their life has yet to be written. And what that great story is, is the story that's going to be told after they die. Um, and that death is the end of what, what Lewis says, this is, the cover page is this life, and death is when the book opens. And that's what Further Up and Further In is about. And, they, and, they're, in, um, and they're in Narnia, and I, and I don't know, this is my least, I, don't, I know all, all the other Narnia books better than this one. This is the strangest one. Um, it's known as the Saturn book by a lot of scholars, because Saturn is the planet of death, and the planet of end times. <clears throat> Saturn is the god of death. Uh, it's, and it's all death imagery and apocalyptic imagery and end of the world imagery. But they're with Aslan, right? Aslan's the creator of the world. He's Jesus, basically. He's the son of the great king over the sea who created the world in the beginning by the word of his power, just like in the book of Genesis. If you read uh, The Magician's Nephew, actually, which you should read second to last. Don't read The Magician's Nephew first. You should read all the other books except for The Last Battle, and then you read The Magician's Nephew, which is the prequel. And in The Magician's Nephew, one of the children wanders into Narnia, and everything's dark, and he can't see anything. And then he hears this singing, this beautiful singing. And Aslan is singing everything into creation. Okay? So they're with Aslan. They've died. The train has crashed. They've been crushed. And Aslan says, you're dead. And now the real story begins. And they want to go with him. And they're running through him, through all this apocalyptic imagery. I can't rem even remember what all of it is. There's things on fire. The world is falling apart. And they're just going further up and further in and further up and further in. That's what Aslan is saying. And they're pursuing what they're doing is they're running after glory. Remember when St. Paul said 
that run so as to win the prize, that one run towards glory, run towards heaven is what they're running toward. And they run into this new place that looks so familiar because it looks like Narnia, but yet it's so different because it's bigger and better than they ever imagined. And what Lewis says, I'll give away the end of Narnia for you right here because it's worth it because you'll read the rest of it, which is what matters. And what it says when they finally get to heaven, he spoke, and, and as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. St. John says this about some of the things that he saw. And St. Paul says this too in one of his letters. St. Paul had a vision. He was caught up into heaven and he said, I cannot, I was forbidden to even attempt to tell you what I saw. And what he saw was, he got a little glimpse into the book, right? Like this whole life that we live here on earth is just the, it's just the cover. And when we die, the real story begins. The, 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 um, the greatest story of my life has yet to be written. We are in, we have these immortal beings. That death is not the end like it is in the Matrix. And like it is in um, the, a lot of the secular world today. Like you die and then that's it. I mean, I, I, I think about life that way all the time. I was born. I have this life. And then someday I'm going to die and then it's going to be it. The Christian imagination, the Christian teaching, the Christian understanding of the world that th is that this life is just a, it's just a little breath. That's what the Bible says. And then the book opens and the story begins. This is what the martyrs understood, right? The martyrs understood this, which is why they were able to go to their death so easily. So um, he says, um, where I left off, sorry, at the part where it says, I cannot write them the things that I see. And for us, this is the end of all the stories for us. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... So for us who are here, this, that's, this is the very end of the story. That's the truth about death. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that's, that's the end of the whole series. And what the whole Narnia series really is about is it's about a preparation for that. It's out, out of many things that it is, it's Lewis's attempt to communicate to children and to adults because Narnia is for adults too. It's probably, it's actually children understand these things better than we do and we actually need it more the whole Narnia series is an attempt to show you what it would be like to think about life in this world with that in mind all the time. What, how can I live in such a way that my death is not the end, but it's the beginning of chapter one? How would, how would I live my life differently if the day that I die Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. How would I, and that's one of the things that is so beautiful about the rosary is because it's another healthy meditation on death. Um, I do a lot of funerals. 
a lot of funerals. I do several each month, and I've done that for years now. I did two or three funerals a week at the church that I was at before this. And it's amazing how human people are. Now, this is going to don't take this wrong, but it's amazing how human people are at funerals and how inhuman they are at weddings. I do both. And at weddings, people are thinking about this great life that I'm about to have, right? And I used to have a pastor, I had, a, I had an amazing Presbyterian pastor before I was a convert, who would talk to people all about death and suffering at their weddings. Like he would, he would be marrying them and his homily would all be about death and self-sacrifice. And people would think, how horrible. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. He's talking about this. He's talking about how would you live your life? How are you going to serve your spouse with the understanding that when you die, everything that you've done has been a preparation for this infinite story that's the greatest story of my life, right? I'm going to try to keep going here because I've, I can't keep, I, I've got to keep going. Um, uh, where did I leave off? So that's kind of all the highfalutin, that's kind of all the highfalutin uh, stuff. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote another great book. So there's the seven Narnia books. You should read those. There's another one called The Great Divorce. Okay, you've got to read that book. It's not very long. And what it is, is it starts in this dreary, drab place with all the smog and everything. There's newspapers cluttering the streets. And, he's, and the very first line says, I find myself in a queue, which is the British word for I'm in line to get on a bus. And what it is, it's, is, it's hell, which isn't a burning lake of fire and brimstone. It's just a very boring, horrible, dreary place where, where there's nothing beautiful. It's kind of like, um, I don't know. I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> but it's, and, and people are getting on a bus to go visit the foothills of heaven. It's like this flying bus. So he gets on the bus, and they fly out of hell, and they, they fly into the foothills of heaven, and they get there, and, and, they, and they, um, some of the people get there, and they look out the window, and they scream, and they don't even get off the bus because they can't stand it. Um, some people get off the bus, and they step onto the ground, and they're like, oh, oh, and they get back on the bus because they can't stand it. And why? Because the grass in heaven is so solid and it's so full of glory and their bodies are so light and they can't take it. It's like stepping on swords. Everything is hard. C.S. Lewis said he got this idea. He stole this idea from some author he couldn't remember the name of. He read a short story about an author who, like the rain turned to lead or something like that. And they were being pelted with this rain that was just killing everybody or something like that. But everything was, it's like everything was too hard. He falls in, and he falls into a river at one point, but he's so light that he can't sink beneath the surface. And it's like being on a river of concrete and he's being like buffeted and bashed down. The, and everything in heaven is so solid and it's so firm and it's so good that they can't stand being there. And there's this one um, beautiful image where there's a guy who, from hell who's visiting heaven, and he's, it's like a last chance to, to go to heaven kind of deal. And what it's really about is this life, but it's, a, and it's an allegory for that. And he's got a little lizard on his shoulder, and the lizard's whispering in his ear. And it's the lizard of lust. And the angel has his hands around the lizard. He's like, should I kill the lizard? And the guy's like, I don't know. I need to go back, and I need to talk to my doctor about it. I, I don't know. I, I, I got to talk to my doctor to see if it's okay. He's like making all these excuses. And the, and the angel says, this is your chance. This is it right now. Make your decision. You don't have time to go back. 
I can't do it unless you tell me to. And the guy finally says, he screams, like, oh, just get it over with. And the angel grabs the lizard and twists it and breaks it in half and kills it. And the guy screams in pain because it's very painful. And then he morphs into this giant and he becomes of the same stuff as heaven. And the lizard turns into this beautiful horse and he climbs onto the horse and he, ro and he rides off into the foothills of heaven, further up and further in, further up and further in, further, 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 further. And he rides off. This little lizard that used to control him and brainwash him, this little lust, that you, he was a slave to it, now has become, he's become master of it. And, and, the, and, and, the, and the thing that had enslaved him was tiny and insignificant. And the thing of which he is now a master, Justin and I had a conversation. He knows what I'm talking about. It's exactly what we were talking about. I, I see that look. He has become his servant. His desires have become his servant. It's amazing. So that's a lot of the highfalutin talk that I wanted to start with. Uh, how much time do I have left? Ten minutes? Great. Great. That's what I was hoping for. So I, I, well, another thing that I've learned about people in my short life, um, I can't believe I'm up here doing this because I'm, anyway, uh, it should be someone else. But I'm glad that I get to share this with you because I love this stuff. And I hope that I'm telling you things that are good to hear. Um, and I wanted to say, secondly, uh, th that's the first half of my talk. All this, um, all, all of this uh, mystical fairyland stuff with Narnia and with the Great Divorce and with C.S. Lewis. And I've kind of discovered that um, roughly, and this is probably not totally true, but roughly the world is divided up into two different kinds of people. Um, people that are like me and who love all the highfalutin, platonic, mystical, fairyland ideas, and we could just meditate on them forever. And people who are thinking, yeah, but I'm going back to biology class tomorrow. Or I'm going back to work at the gas station tomorrow. Like, I'm a very practical person. My wife is this way. We are total opposites in this way. Like, I'm always like, honey, we should go to China and start a children's choir in China. And then she starts talking about all the, all the, all the details of this and how is this practically going to work. And then I'm like, yeah, I better just go make my next children's choir plan for Sacred Heart, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I'm just constantly, like, and I, I, like I literally, and I was 100% serious, wasn't I, when I said that? I had logged onto the internet, and I saw that there was an English-speaking, like, boarding school in China that needed a music director, and I was feeling the call of God to go to China and serve God in China, and we could just go and live there. And honey was, and my, and my, Wife, Shana, was like my honey. I wanted to say my honey, but I didn't want you to laugh at me. And and I was and I was and my Shana. She was like Michael. We're living in Washington D.C. and we already can't stand how far we are from our family. Like, do you think it would be better? So I discovered that there are people that are very practically minded. And and I, so I want to shift to the second part of my talk. I don't have very much time. Um, and I wanted to talk about the practical side because there are people thinking, how can I incorporate all this apocalyptic four-headed beasts who are eating, you know, and false prophets and apes and, 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 and the world burning up? How can I incorporate this into my life? What does that mean? And it just so happens that I know the most important thing that you can do to incorporate this into your life. I know the secret. I do. 
and I'm going to give it to you. Go to Mass. <gasps> like, no, but seriously, um, we live in the other world. We don't live in Narnia, and there are a few places. You ever notice, have you, who's ever been to Sacred Heart Church? You've been there? You know the apse, the big archway at the center? Up by the, where they, get, where they do the readings, and then, like, you go up the three steps, and there's this big archway. That's the gateway. That's one of the portals in our world into this beyond. That's actually what it is. The church teaches us that. The tabernacle of Jesus is in the sanctuary. That's why they used to have altar rails. That's why if you go into an eastern church, they have a big screen, and you can't even see into it. And it's plastered with the images of the saints. Because it's somewhere back in there where I can't quite look. It's like it said, no one on earth, we've never read that story. It's back there somewhere. Okay, Go to Mass every week. And, it's, and I discovered this too. You can't go just once or twice because we're stuck in time. The, our, our, our planet goes around once every day. It goes around, and then it goes around, and then it goes around. And you're stuck in that rhythm. And our, and, our, and our planet goes around the sun once every year. And we're stuck in that time. And if you don't go to Mass consistently, then time will trick you. And you won't really experience Mass. Okay? So you have to, that's why the church wants us to go. It's not just a... It's inviting you into that. That's where we partake of Jesus. Um, because we can't, we can't make up some magical way like reading more C.S. Lewis or learning the Greek language or doing any of these things, we can't make up our own magical way of this happening. We have to seek Jesus first. That's why Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and what? All these, all these things will be added unto you, right? Seek ye first. It comes from him. Um, and if you discover, like, and then, okay, and then I wanted to say too, you will be at Mass many times and you'll think, oh, this is boring, I can't wait till this is over. Okay, that's what I, 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 all the time happens to me. Um, uh, the music is bad. Uh, the, I, I don't really like the way this room looks. Uh, that was not a good homily. Um, uh, uh, um, I, I just, I, this isn't making sense. Where's, where's the joy? Where's the beauty? Where's the magic? And I would encourage you to always take, and I, this is what I encourage myself to do, always take the... For, further up and further in. Always take the um, advice of C.S. Lewis. Nothing's wrong with the grass. Nothing's wrong with heaven. I am deficient. The reason I'm bored is because there's something wrong with me. And then, and then we ask, well, what can I do to be more prepared for mass? How, what can I do to help make myself less deficient, to fill myself more? Pray the rosary all the time. And don't and learn how to pray the rosary correctly, because I didn't know how to pray the rosary correctly for a, for a long time. It's not just a bunch of Hail Marys. Now, it is that, and it is good, but the rosary, you're supposed to be thinking about the mystery as you pray the decade of Hail Marys. The, the four most important books in the Bible are Matthew. Those are the most important books, Okay. The church has always taught that. That's why it's at the center of the liturgy. That's why we read the Gospels more than anything else. The rosary is a meditation on the most important things that happen in those books. That's why the rosary is so important. And that's why Protestants don't understand it. 
because they've never tried it and they don't understand that it's not just a bunch of Hail Marys. It's the, the hero of those books, praying to the hero of those books to help us understand those mysteries of the Annunciation and the birth and the carrying of the cross and the scourging at the pillar and the wedding at Cana and all these most important things. Um, confession. Right? Like, go to confession. Everybody knows you did something, you hated that you did it. It was a bad thing for you to do and it tortures you. Confession will unburden you of that darkness and teach you the hope of God's mercy. Um, I wish I could say more about that, but I want to move on. The other thing, and this is, if this, and, and um, those are two things you already know. You already know that. But this is one that you don't know as well. Pray the Psalms of David. This is something every, every age of the church has deficiencies, and I have become convinced that this is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest deficiency of the church that we live in today. The lack of the practice of the praying of the Psalms of David. How many of them are there? Who knows how many Psalms of David there are? 100, 150 of them. There's 150 Psalms. And if you open up a Bible, they're just about right in the middle. The Psalms of David have always been for the last 2,000 years and always will be, and before that, the greatest prayers of God's people. They are the bread and butter, the heart of Christian prayer. And there's so many of them. You know the most famous one, and you could say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We've heard it so many times, but it's so beautiful and emotional. Bow down thy heaven, O Lord. Come down and touch the mountains, and they will smoke. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who teaches my hands for war and my fingers to fight, to fight my laziness, to fight my lust, to fight my pride, to fight everything about myself that I don't like. Um, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I tear up when I speak about it because they're so beautiful and there's so many of them that I don't know because there's so many of them and they're so rich. Quick addendum. Who knows who St. Athanasius was? St. Athanasius of Alexandria? Short little black guy who lived in North, <laughs> North Africa and wrote one of the most famous books in all of Christian history when he was 17. He was brilliant. He was, he was discipling young people and he was doing incredible work for the Lord and he wrote a book. He wrote a letter to his friend and Athanasius had memorized all the Psalms. And he had memorized not only the Psalms, but he had memorized what they were all for. There is a Psalm for every situation that you can find yourself in life. And Athanasius can tell you that. He'll say, you know, if you're sad and your mother has just died, read Psalms 27, 29, 51, and 34. And if your enemies are crowding you around and you feel like you just can't fight them off, Read Psalms 2 and, and 121. And if this is happening, read that psalm. And if this is happening, read that psalm. And it's like, and he's and, the, and these people, he didn't have this in front of him. He's doing it from memory. He's writing this letter from memory. And it's so amazing. And it's a roadmap to the psalms. It will show you what they're all about. I can, it's called The Letter to Marcellinus. And it's such, that book should be read by everyone who ever joined the church. It, it should be, but it's not. It's not. And I, 
And uh, I, had this, I had the privilege of one, a great teacher that we have showed me that one. Uh, find ways to serve at Mass. Serve old people. Visit, I mean, old people are, the most neglect, are some of the most neglected people in our culture. We have these nursing homes. These people are lonely. They're falling apart. And they're almost to the apps. They're almost there. And, I, and, I've, and, I, and my, this is something my mother encouraged me to do. And I said, Mom, when I go visit these old people, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And you know what she said? Touch them. Hold their hand. Rub their arm. And I realized that people don't touch old people. Old people don't get touched. And that's one of the most necessary human needs, isn't it? Isn't it? To be touched. To shake a hand. To have a hug. To have a kiss. And it gets more intimate than that. And it's wonderful. That's what we need. And, and they don't get any of that. They're cut off from that. Visit old people. Um, babysit little kids for married people. Trust me. It's an amazing service that you can do. Like it, the, the children will teach you so much. And parenting is so hard. And you need a break, especially with your spouse. Find people that have kids. Get involved in their family life. Here's an opportunity to do that. I invite all of you to come to my house for dinner on Tuesday nights. And you don't have to babysit my kids. It's not a requirement. Father Nick has started over the last couple months has started coming over to our house for dinner just about every Tuesday night unless we have the plague. And, um, and you are all invited to that. All of you. You should come. Uh, you've been. You've, no, no, you haven't been. Man, there's not that many people here. That we, you've been there. There's people that have come. Yeah. Was it fun? Was it good? We have good food. We have good drink. We play the rosary. We read things together. It's fun. Uh, theology of the body. That's another great, yeah. Talk to Justin about theology of the body. Uh, yeah, yeah, love and responsibility. But that's what it is. And what I mean is another, another area in which our culture is so deficient is human relationships, and that results in loneliness, and especially the sexual relationships um, and how sex is all about family and children and not about getting pleasure for myself. Um, amazing. Create Christian community. Again, Tuesdays at our house, that's one opportunity. But create it in amongst yourselves. Um, introduce yourself to somebody. Uh, find great art, music, literature, and poetry. I'll just say a couple of names. Um, Friedrich Chopin, piano music. Okay, gateway drug to all the greatest music in the world, okay? Chopin is the gateway drug. Start with Chopin, look up, it's beautiful. You'll never, let C.S. Lewis wrote a letter to one of his friends about how much he was falling in love with Chopin when he was in his early 20s. Um, great art and music, literature and poetry. If you, want a, if you want a good book to read, ask Father Nick. He's reading these amazing books about a sea captain named Aubrey. And these seafaring adventures, talk about further up and further in to the glory of creation, riding up waves that take you, how long did it take you to get to the top of this wave? Like five minutes? Yeah, and then, and then plunging back down, and, and this ship is chasing you. Amazing literature. And then the last thing I wanted to say is give yourself more opportunities, and these are all things that I admonish myself, and I stink at these things. Give yourself more opportunities to have authentic experience of the created world. Camping, hiking, fishing, hunting. Go, like, I cannot tell you. If you're sitting and you're studying and you're thinking, 
I cannot stand studying. I just can't stand studying God's world anymore. You know, and you're trying to study um, or do something. Get in your car and drive out in the country and lay on your back and look at the stars. Okay, that's the last thing that I would say. So those are my practical things that I would share with you. And then I mean, read the Chronicles of Narnia too. I mean, they're, they're, they're really, they're, they're amazing. Uh, we have a set that we can lend you if you want. And they're, they're not easy, they're not hard to get your hands on because they're still well-loved and in print. So, I'm sorry, I probably, how long did I go over? I'm a good, okay. Well, anyway. Um, so, further up and further in, it's about death. Life is all about the hour of your death. It really is. And, and going through that portal, this is your life, and then, and then death is this the beginning of the never-ending story. Are you ready for that today? Because you could die tonight. Are you ready? Um, this is what I try to ask myself. That's why I try to ask myself. Um, death is not the end. It's the new beginning. It's, the, it's chapter one. It's chapter one of the story that none of us have read. Okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> So that was our first pie of the night, and um, for just like the next 10 minutes, we're going to kind of run through what the rest of the semester is going to look like. Thank you, Michael. That was awesome. Um, you never bore, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so we're going to show you guys a song that Michael was talking about earlier, and we really kind of just like latched onto this song, and we thought its lyrics were beautiful, and we're going to hand them out. And... Um, Anyway, so the plan is that um, throughout the semester, we're going to have alumni, like I said, or people that have walked in Emporia or are dear to Emporia, come back and speak to this song in different parts. And um, yeah. so I'm going to play it. There's a song that I've wanted to sing so long but the tune is just out of my grasp i may see for a moment when light reflects gold but so delicate slips from my hand slips from my hand every word that i sing is a cheap imitation of things that I don't understand Light reflecting on water, the picture gets harder to see with the eyes of a man I hear come The chord that was struck on the strings of my heart is 
Okay, so we're really excited for the speakers um, that are going to come, not only tonight, but in the future. And when we were deciding who to pick, um, we really wanted alumni, people who have been a part of Diddy, who have already left their footprint, who have touched this place, um, some of us, and are now just a season ahead of us in life. Um, so you're going to get a preview of the speakers we've chosen. Um, some of them have graduated from Emporia State and are now missionaries. Um, some of them are in the seminary studying to become priests. Some of them are joining the convent. Um, some of them are getting married. Some of them are in med school. Um, just very diverse students who have all been a part of here and who are a part of your story and who want to tell you about what they're doing now. So here's a little preview. Well, we're very excited to announce that our Rise Night speakers for the semester will be Will Carey and Abby Davies, Colin Connor and Haley Von Felt, and Cruz Gallegos and Aaron Corbett.